Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, we are so excited to gather this morning, and happy Palm Sunday to you. Also, happy Easter, or not Easter, that's next week, happy Passover to you. Uh, today is a, is a day that is both. Last night at sundown, Passover began for the Jewish people, and uh, today is, is the Christian celebration of when Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey, getting ready to inaugurate the events of Holy Week. And so we're going to talk this morning about Passover. And we've been in a study on the kingdom. So we're going to leave that uh, for this morning and to help just kind of set our minds in the right context. uh, Before we read from Exodus chapter 12, which is where we're going to go, I want to show you a brief video uh, that kind of outlines what's happening in Exodus in in chapters 1 through 18. So this kind of gives you the big 30,000 foot view. And I'm thankful to the folks at the Bible Project to help make this happen because they made this video and it's just fantastic at giving us an overview. Well, I wanted to give that to you because we're jumping into something new, and maybe it's been some time uh, since you've read the book of Exodus. Maybe you've never read the book of Exodus. If you haven't, I encourage you, go home and read the book of Exodus. It's a phenomenal story of God's redemptive work in the people of Israel. Um, But we are going to study Passover today, because Passover is the context from which we get Good Friday. It's a context from which we get um, the whole resurrection weekend, and it's good for us to remember. Um, Passover is a festival. It's, It's one of the three annual festivals that God called his people Israel to celebrate every year. Every year, they, they were to go and they were to celebrate these uh, festivals before the Lord, and they were to remember what God has done and to celebrate that together as a community and together as a family. And so, um, while that's for Israel, we have an incredible ability to, to learn about who God is and what God has done from these amazing encounters that God has with people like Pharaoh. So, we are going to read together um, Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 42. Okay? It's a bit of a long reading, so I'm just going to ask you to remain seated, and, and in your hearts, you can stand. Okay? So just to, not, not physically stand, but you can just recognize with me that this is the Word of God. And let's read together. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's households. One animal per household. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based upon uh, the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each person will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. 
They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it, roasted over the fire, along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. Do not let any of it remain until morning. You must burn up any part of it that does remain before morning. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am Yahweh. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land. This day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You must eat unleavened bread for seven days. On the first day, you must remove yeast from your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work may be done on those days except for preparing what people need to eat. You may do only that. Verse 17, you are to observe the festival of unleavened bread because on this very day I brought your divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You're to eat unleavened bread in the first month from the evening of the 14th day of the month until the evening of the 21st day. Yeast may not be found in your houses for seven days. If anyone eats something leavened, that person, whether a foreign resident or native of the land, must be cut off from the community of Israel. Do not eat anything leavened. Eat unleavened bread in all your homes. Then Moses summoned the elders of Israel and said to them, Go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and brush the lintel and the and the two doorposts with some of the blood of the basin. None of you may go out the door of his house until morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your houses to strike you. Keep this command permanently as a statute for you and your descendants. When you enter the land, the Lord will give you as he promised. You are to observe this ritual. When your children ask you, what does this ritual mean to you? You are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people bowed down and worshiped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now at midnight, the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and every firstborn of the flock. During the night, Pharaoh got up, he along with his officials, and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night, and he said, Get up, leave my people, both you and the Israelites, and go. Worship Yahweh as you have asked. Take even your flocks and your herds as you have asked, and leave, and also bless me. 
Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, we are all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their cloths on their shoulder, or clothes on their shoulder. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor in the Egyptians' sight that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites traveled from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 soldiers on foot besides their families. An ethnically diverse crowd also went up with them, along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. The people baked the dough they had brought out of Egypt into unleavened loaves, since it had no yeast. For when they had been driven out of Egypt, they could not delay and had not prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the Israelites lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that same day, all the Lord's divisions went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of vigil in honor of the Lord because he would bring them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is in honor of the Lord. The night vigil or the night watching for all the Israelites throughout their generations. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story of redemption. We thank you, God, for how you went to battle against the gods of Egypt, further proving that you and you alone are the only God. God, we thank you for the abundant grace and mercy that you showed your people, Israel. Thank you, God, for the grace and mercy you have shown us here as we gather in your name to declare your praise. As we open your word, God, we pray that you would teach us and guide us into all truth for our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. All right, so, bit of a long reading, but there's a story that's going on here in the scripture. There is much we could say about Passover. Uh, there's a lot we could say about Passover. But here's how I want to approach it this morning. I want to approach it by giving you, uh, hopefully, five principles of Passover. All right, I'm going to take all of that text and a little bit more and distill it down to a couple of principles that we find in these um, verses. Um, and the first principle of Passover is this. Um, new life is marked by redemption. New life is marked by redemption. Notice with me, please, in the first couple verses of chapter 12. Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, he says, verse 2, this month is to be a beginning of months for you. All right, a beginning of months for you. So why does he have to have a beginning of months? They already have a calendar going on. In fact, one scholar uh, says this. It's a, he says, in the ancient Near East, there existed two different systems relative to the commencement or the beginning of the year. According to one system, the year began in the spring, the month of Nisan, which is the, the, the current biblical month right now. The other began in autumn, in the month of Tishri. And, and actually, Judaism has two New Years. They, they have a New Year that happens in the fall, and then they have a New Year that happens in the spring. But here in Exodus chapter 12, God says, you're going to mark time a very important way. You're going to mark time by my redemptive work in your midst. So much so that this is going to be the beginning of months for you. He wants them to understand a very important principle. Life is marked by redemption. That's true for Israel as they remember Passover and everything that God did. But it's also true for us today. 
as God formed this new community, another thing that you'll notice in verse three, it says, tell the whole community of Israel. The word that's used there for community is the word edah. Can you say edah? Edah. Edah is a word that is used the first time here, and it means this. He's gathering them as a people, and he's saying, I'm making you a community. Because what he's doing is he's forming them for a purpose based upon God's redemptive work in their life. The way we can recognize this principle today, that new life is marked by redemption, is this. If you're a follower of Jesus, when you became a follower of Jesus— your life was completely transformed. Second Corinthians says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are gone, the new has come. Galatians also picks up on this in chapter two. This idea that life transformation happens when God's redemptive work becomes present in your life by trusting the work of Jesus. New life is marked by redemption. In a very physical way, Israel is called to celebrate a different calendar, one that's marked by this Passover event. And if you want to understand Passover in one word, it's the word redemption, right? Passover is all about redemption. That's why I entitled it Remembering Our Redemption. Passover is all about redemption because it's something that God did for his people Israel. They they didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. It was by God's mercy, grace, and it was because of God's covenant faithfulness. I know it's a big two words there. It's because of God's covenant faithfulness to their forefathers. In the book of Genesis, um, God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you, and I want to make you great, and I'm going to bless all the earth through you. And he says this to a guy who does not have any kids. And so, you know, he's, Abraham is, is going to be a person whom God says, you're going to be the father of a multitude, the father of a great nation. He goes, hang on a second, I don't have any kids. God comes to him. God makes a, a covenant by which God himself assumes the responsibility of making sure that that covenant happens. And Abraham goes through all of these different ways in which he tries to make the covenant happen on his own, all right? After he and his wife are barren for year after year after year, his wife says, here, take my, take my servant. Maybe you can have kids through her. That was not an uncommon thing in the ancient Near East. God says, that's not how I'm going to do this. And so Abraham's 100 years old. His wife is 90 years old, and she becomes pregnant by the word of the Lord, and God says, I will keep my word. And God brings his people, Israel, out of Egypt in, in doing so, he keeps his word. Now they have grown into a multitude. They, they're 600,000, the text says, plus families. So th- there's a, a lot of people going on, all right? There's, there's a lot of people going on. During this time, they, they went to, to Egypt with less than 100 people. And 430 years later, they're a lot more than that. God is keeping his word even during this time that they're in there. But as they come out, he says, your life is going to be marked by a different calendar. It's going to be marked by redemption. For followers of Jesus, the same is true. I don't know about you, but um, if I think back upon my life before Christ, there's a lot of things that come to my mind, a lot of things that did not honor God, a lot of thoughts, a lot of actions, a lot of, a lot of my own sin in ugliness. 
But when Jesus came into my life, he completely transformed it. Now, my life, in some respects, didn't look night and day different because we have all these patterns and practices. Losing your temper, speaking back to your parents, okay? Because I was a kid when I came to know Jesus, and so I had all these things in my life. I, I had all these things, but my identity itself was transformed, my, my identity was no longer in that person. My identity was founded by what Christ had done for me. My life was patterned by a new calendar, the redemptive work of God in my life. And for many of us here, as followers of Jesus, we like to live in the old way, right? We, we, we like to live in, in a manner where I'm just that old, old sinner. I can't do anything right. Well, Friend, if God has redeemed you and if you have trusted in Jesus alone, let me tell you this. You are dearly loved by God. God calls you his child in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians. And you can come to God and you can say, Abba. In fact, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, Abba, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word Abba has an idea of respect to it. As, as a child would have for his father, but it also has this idea of intimacy. Intimacy and respect before God. Now, I know some here, some listening to me today, you may come from families of origin where it's really challenging to understand what does it mean to have a father who is good and who loves me, all right? It's really a hard thing for many people because of how you grew up, because of what you experienced. When we see God interacting as a father, you know, there's many ways we can go. There's many passages we can look at. One that immediately springs to mind is the father in the story of the prodigal son, is what we call it, who waits and who waits. And his son has gone off, and his son has done his own thing. His son has even told his father, Dad, I wish you were dead. But his father keeps looking, keeps wanting relationship with his son. Let me tell you, if you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a new creation. You have a dynamic relationship with God by grace through faith. And God calls you to walk in that relationship. He calls you to walk in the identity that he has given you. Our identity in Christ is not something we earn. It's something we receive by God's gracious act of mercy. Isn't that amazing? If you're a follower of Jesus, your life has been completely transformed, not to walk your own way, but to walk with God every single day. How's your walk today? First principle, new life is marked by redemption. I better keep going or we won't get all five in. Um, the second one is this. Passover was Yahweh's redemptive work in people who trusted his provision. Now, I use the covenantal name of God here very intentionally because in 29 different verses, in Exodus 12 and in Exodus 13, there is, I think it's 34 different um, times in which Yahweh is mentioned, all right? It's, it's, not the, it's not the generic name for God, which can be Elohim. It's not even the, the, the word for God, Adonai, which can be Lord, Master, or Sir. This is a very important name. This is the name by which God makes covenant with his people, Israel. Passover was Yahweh's redemptive work. 
when we read the story of the Passover, it's all about Yahweh. It's all about Yahweh and his work in a people who then responded to his work by trusting his provision. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 16, there's a whole host of instructions given for how Israel is to observe Passover, right? As, as a community, they are called to, on the 10th day of the month, select an animal of the flock, according to their father's household. And then on the 14th day of the month, they're going to take this animal, and they are going to um, slaughter it at twilight. And this is not just an ordinary animal. Th this animal is to be an unblemished animal, a year old, taken from either the sheep or the goats. And, and Passover... Um, one of the important things about the festival of Passover is, is this idea of blood, okay? This idea of blood that is involved. And this blood comes from an unblemished Passover sacrificial lamb. Um, blood sacrifice is a significant theme in Exodus, and it runs throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. The sacrifice of the Passover lamb and its blood placed over the lintel, which is the, the doorpost and, and on the sides, the blood placed over there um, was a sign of trust and faith in God. God says, essentially, if you trust me, here is what I want you to do. By, by, by walking it out, the people are saying, God, we believe your word. Now, they may not fully understand it, but they're saying, all right, Moses told us this. We are going to believe this. And they've just seen a whole host of plagues and everything, but they've also experienced so much oppression that you could see them going in some respects many ways. You could see them going, oh man, we should just kind of, we should just listen to Pharaoh and let our lives be easier you know? Or can we really trust this God who has left our people in darkness and in bondage for 400 years? But no, as, 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 um, as Moses comes, he says, God wants us to do this. And they take this lamb, they slaughter the lamb, and it becomes a central theme of Passover. They place the blood over the doorposts of their house. And blood sacrifice is absolutely essential here. It mirrors um, how blood was shed by Pharaoh, the, the children in Israel, for example. The firstborn of Israel would have perished without the blood sacrifice over the lintel and the doorposts of the home. And this is a type of sacrifice, a substitution sacrifice, such as we see in the Day of Atonement. In the Day of Atonement, there's a goat that's slaughtered on the behalf of the people. And it looks forward in part to a day in which God would command Israel, don't eat any of the blood of the creature because the life is in the blood, Leviticus 17, 11. Um, now, the interesting thing about sacrifices is, is these type of sacrifices don't magically just erase all sin, all right? This was, this was a temporary system that God instituted for his people to remind them the seriousness of sin and, and to even point them forward to what he is going to do. The book of Hebrews in um, chapter 10 talks about the work of the Messiah Jesus with regard to sacrifice, and it says this. Hang on, let me get there. It says this. Um, in verse 5 of chapter 10. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not want sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Verse 7, then I say, see, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I have come to do your will, O my God. And that's a quotation from various Hebrew scriptures. Um, after he says above, you did not want 
or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He, he then says, see, I've come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He says this in verse 11, every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice, he's talking about Jesus here, for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. What's the author saying? Well, one of the things he's saying is that this temple system of sacrifice was not something that was going to completely pay for the people's sin. There's only one sacrifice that can do that, and that is the shed blood of Jesus, making us right with God, giving us the opportunity to receive redemption fully to God. And it happens through blood. When Jesus comes to the Last Supper, what we often term it, he's, he's at a Passover Seder, and he says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he's talking about the third cup of Passover. Passover has several cups of wine that you drink or grape juice. Fruit of the vine is the way I usually say it to avoid that conversation. But um, um, the fruit of the vine, they're taking together. And he says, this cup, the cup of redemption, this is what I'm going to do for you by my death in my resurrection. Back to Exodus. Um, Sacrifices do not magically take away someone's guilt. They're part of a process instituted by Yahweh that recognizes a spiritual distance from God caused by sin. They involve genuine confession on the part of people with obedience to God's prescription for atonement. And the prophets would later further describe that there is no forgiveness where genuine repentance is absent. And and actually, there are some sins for which there is no sacrifice that you can atone for. Um, When David, okay, so David, um, king of Israel, he's called the beloved. That's literally what David means. It means beloved. He's called the man who's after God's own heart. David makes a very bad mistake at one point in his kingdom. Um, He stays home when he should have gone off to war. And in doing so, he ends up having an affair with a married lady. And in doing so, in order to keep that quiet, he ends up having um, this lady, Bathsheba, he ends up having her husband killed on the front lines because her husband was one of David's mighty warriors. And so David not only commits adultery, he also commits murder, and um, he's called on the mat by Nathan the prophet. And, And David, after kind of walking through a season of time, um, he comes to recognize his sin, and he comes before God in Psalm 51, I believe it is, and the only thing he can claim for the sin he has done is, God, I need your mercy. And that's all any of us can ever claim. There, there's nothing that we can do to sacrifice anything to make ourselves right with God. Now, that doesn't mean that Israel was not supposed to follow God's prescription for sacrifices. They were, But ultimately, those sacrifices didn't save. It was God's mercy upon a person who sinned that brought salvation. Passover is God's redemptive work in a people who trust his provision. It's called numerous times the Lord's Passover. And several several verses in um, chapter 12, verse 17, and chapter 13, verse 9, and 14, and 16, um, 
the word phrase that's used here is I brought, I brought, I brought. And the idea behind it, like for example in 12, 17, um, you're to observe the festival of unleavened bread, which is, comes right after the festival of Passover. Because on this very day, I brought you out. Redemption is God's redemptive work. Yahweh's redemptive work in a people. Redemption comes only one way for us, the Passover lamb, Jesus. When Jesus is, um, is seen by John in the early chapters of the Gospel of John, John, his cousin, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There, there's all these references to Jesus and what he did, tying it to this work of redemption at Passover in Scripture. Another one we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You don't need to turn there right now. But in the context of 1, 1 Corinthians 5, um, Paul is actually addressing sexual immorality. And the Apostle Paul exhorts the Corinthians by saying this. He says, cleanse out the old leaven, all right, leaven. We read about leaven. We read about yeast in our passage today. Um, leaven uh, cleansing is one of the first things you do in preparing for Passover. Leaven symbolized sin. And so part of the getting your house ready to celebrate Passover is you get all the leaven. So your yeast, your bread that has yeast, your crackers that have yeast, if they have yeast, um, any um, like baking powder, all this kind of stuff. You gather all this stuff and you would take it out of your house as a symbolic way of we, we are clearing ourselves of sin, all right? It's important to think through our lives in that way. It's, it's this picture that God gave his people to, to consider what they're about to celebrate. Paul says, cleanse out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. You really are unleavened. He's telling people who have sexual immorality among them, that's not who you are, but also stop doing those things that you're doing. He says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. God wants them to get rid of these elements of leaven, this sin in their life, and trust again the sacrifice of Christ because that is their identity. But he wants them to walk according to that identity, not according to their own passions that lead them to malice and evil. He wants them to rather uphold sincerity and truth and deal with the sin in the community in the proper way. Paul's audience here is made up of believers. He says, you, you really are leavened. Therefore, as God passed over the Israelites who placed the blood of the lintel on their home in Egypt, one scholar writes it this way in the Moody Bible Commentary, so believers apply the blood of the sinless Messiah to their hearts by faith, and God passes over in eternal judgment. Passover was Yahweh's redemptive work in people who trusted his provision. I just simply ask you this, have you trusted in Yahweh's work, his redemptive work upon the cross through his son? If you have, man, Passover celebration is just an incredible thing for you. If you haven't, I invite you to consider that today because there's only one way we find salvation. That's through Christ our Passover lamb. Principle number three. Passover was judgment upon sin and those who were anti-Yahweh or against Yahweh, you could say. I found this interesting as I was studying this passage several weeks ago. Um, 
he says this in verse 12 of Exodus chapter 12. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both male and beast. I am Yahweh. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. When God comes to confront sin and evil, there is judgment. Now, we've been studying the kingdom. And when Jesus came the first time, when he came in his incarnation, he came to preach a message of the kingdom, of the redemption, the hope, and the grace that is found through him and him alone. Um, he did not bring judgment as he will one day bring. Okay, th there is coming a time that scripture talks about when, when he will bring judgment to people who are far from God. And we see that mirrored in the text here. People who were anti-God, namely the Egyptians and the gods whom they served, God brings, Yahweh brings judgment against them. Um, it's interesting. Um, Exod, or not Exodus, Egypt is one of the most religious societies in the world at this time. They're incredibly religious. They have a God for everything. Um, it, it wasn't just enough to have one. They had multiples. All right? I've, got, I've got a list in my notes of over 30 different gods that pertain to different areas. So you've got a God of the sun. You've got a God of the Nile. Even Pharaoh himself was considered a god. And so all the people of Israel, they've been living for hundreds of years in this culture that understood what worship meant. You know, if they needed fertility, they'd go over to this one. And if they needed rain for their crops, they'd go over to this one. They would try to have this relationship with the gods by which they could receive what they needed and they would give what they would have to, all right? When God comes to reveal himself, he says, not just I'm going to like, tell them who I am, he says, I am Yahweh, I will execute judgments on all the gods of Egypt. And so the 10th plague, which we read about here in Exodus chapter 12, the death of the firstborn, that is the 10th plague, and that is a plague against a god of Egypt, all right? That is taking down Pharaoh in his house, straight up. And I think that's why Pharaoh relents at that point, because he goes, I am no longer God. Just my thought. Um, other other um, plagues that God brought upon Egypt, they all systematically took down different gods of Egypt. Frogs, the Nile, sun, because God made it dark. All these are essentially God asserting that he alone is God and he is absolutely powerful over all these false gods. He's essentially saying this, and I love the way um, that this is written by Doug Stewart in his commentary. He says this, I am doing something here that is basic to my soon-to-be-revealed covenant with you. This is Doug's um, paraphrase. I'm showing you whom you must pay sole attention to and who alone can save you and grant you blessing if you keep my covenant. I'm making sure that by dramatic and decisive means that you cannot miss the fact that I alone am truth and life for you. Pay no attention to other gods. I have powerfully demonstrated to you that they don't exist. I also have demonstrated to you what happens to people who think they do. Trust me alone, and you will have made the choice from which everything else important follows. And so by Israel trusting God, they're essentially saying, 
um, in a very um, first step kind of way. We're not going to trust the gods of Egypt. God, Yahweh, we're going to trust, trust you. Now, this is going to be something that they're going to struggle with year after year. In fact, they're going to struggle with this not a couple of months later. <laughs> you know, they're going to be at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses is up receiving the, um, the, 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 the ten words from God, and they're going to be building a calf to worship an idol that they can see because they, they want to have something that they can see in their midst. This is going to be a significant challenge for them, but friends, it's also a significant challenge for us. Our, our, our culture is filled with many gods, gods of our own making, gods of money, gods of work, gods of uh, esteem, gods of power. We serve a lot of things, but God calls us to serve him and to serve him alone. I love how Psalm 115 puts it. Um, it starts off by saying, not to, lo- not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And he goes on to talk about um, why should the nation say, where are their gods? Our God is in the heaven. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the works of human hands. And he says that they have mouths but do not speak. They have ears but do not hear. They have noses but do not smell. They have feet but do not move. All these different things that we would seem to be like, oh, hey, they can do this. He says, no, they can't. No, they can't. In fact, he says, the psalmist says, those who make them become like them so do all who trust in them. In other words, if you fashion yourself a God, you're going to become like that God. The identity of God's people is always found in the God who has redeemed them. We don't create God. God gives his identity to us. That should just blow us away constantly. We don't seek to make a God because all who make them, all who trust in them become like them. And at the end of that psalm, he says, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. He says, house of Aaron, trust the Lord. He is your help and your shield. He says, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. And he goes to, the psalmist goes to talking about the goodness of God and his faithfulness to them as a people. Passover was a judgment upon sin and those who were anti-Yahweh, but it's vastly and it's so important for us to remember that it's God who brought his people out, not the gods of Egypt. Some of you students here, um, you uh, memorized in Big Life and in our younger um, kids, uh, friends, um, age groups on Wednesday night a couple years ago, um, Exodus chapter 20. And it begins like this, if you know, you can say it with me. I am the Lord who brought you. Oh, goodness. It just went from me. <clears throat> Do you love that when that happens? <sighs> I thought I had. I am the Lord your God. There we go. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. And he says this then, you are to have no other gods but me. Because in principle number four, Yahweh redeems so that his people will go forth and serve or worship Yahweh. God's word is a command to say, don't serve the gods of this world. Serve the only true living God, and it's Yahweh. Um, several times in Exodus 12 and 13, this word serve, it's, it's the word avod, 
Um, the word servant is the word evit. It's a related word. Several times this word is used, and it means to serve, it means to work, and it means to worship. In other words, God is calling his people with all that they do to serve and to worship him. The New Testament um, says it this way. Paul says it. In everything you do, do for the glory of God. Live for the glory of God. Because the, the call to freedom in Christ is not just a call to freedom for our own personal sake. It's not, oh, I'm free, now I can go do what I want. In fact, God says, or not God says, well, God says through um, the Apostle Paul, he says, should sinning increase so that grace might increase? Heaven forbid. He, he, he says, no, no. If you're in Christ, serve God. Serve God with everything you have. Serve God with your time. Serve God with your money. Serve God with your mind. Serve God in every opportunity he has given you. Why? Because it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not be burdened by the yoke of slavery, but to serve and to worship the one and only true living God. That is Yahweh. Yahweh redeems so that his people will go forth. And we will end with number five. Regularly remember Yahweh's redemption. In other words, never forget. If you like the positive, it's regularly remember. If you like the, the um, less positive, it's don't forget, you know. Um, regularly remember Yahweh's redemption. Um, Yahweh instituted the annual celebration of Passover for Israel because he did not want them to forget what he had done. And in fact, if, if you uh, are ever involved in a Passover Seder, one of the things that happens in the Passover Seder is that there's these questions that are asked. And Passover Seders, especially if you have young children, um, they are a delightful cacophony of craziness uh, because everybody's like, I have to go to the bathroom and I'm hungry. And, and there's all these scripture readings and retellings of God's word that happen. But the amazing thing is, is that through this interactive process, Kids are taught the amazing truth that God alone redeems. Yahweh alone redeems. And he calls, he called Israel out for a purpose, to serve them. And so, um, for example, um, in chapter 12, verse 26, it says this. When your children ask you, what does this ritual mean to you? You're to reply, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord. For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and he spared our homes. So the people bowed down and worshiped. For us today, we are to regularly remember Yahweh's redemption in our life. And friends, that should be something that we talk about. I'm not talking just about Passover. I'm talking about what God has done in your life to save and redeem you. Moms and dads, sit at the table and talk about what God has done to redeem you from your old life. Your kids need to hear that. They need to hear that. You have friends. As you gather and you talk and you engage, talk about how God has worked in your life past, because he has. If we stop and we pause and we consider the incredible mercy and grace of God, friends, it should blow us away, because God has been so merciful to you and to me. And as we tell what God has done in our life, it becomes an a very powerful way to, to share 
the gospel and to share the work of God to other people in our lives? What has God done for you that you need to share with your families? What has God done for you that you need to share and regularly remember? Never forget from where you came. Never live in that old way of living, but never forget where you came from. Be reminded of how God's mercy and grace has met you in your time of need. Regular repetition of God's words and his work leads to incredible spiritual conversations. If you want to talk further about that, I'd love to talk more about that with you. I want to give you a challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus this week, um, try to give you a little bit as we go through these five principles to, to hang your hat on, so to speak. Um, but I, I want to give you a challenge. As you think about your life as a follower of Jesus, I'm talking to followers of Jesus here, would you this week do something very important? Would you work on a brief sharing story of what God has done to transform your life from who you were to who you are now. Would you do that? And then would you prayerfully ask God, God, whom can I share this with this week? That may be your kids. That may be a coworker. But talk and, and think through intentionally. Here's what God has done to bring me from being someone who is lost in my transgressions and in my sin to someone who is now God's child. And it only comes one way, through the redemptive work of Jesus and trusting in his provision alone. So that's, that's for those of you who are followers of Jesus. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, maybe, you're, maybe you have questions. Maybe you're kicking this around. You're like, I don't understand this. That's great. We love questions. Questions are fantastic wrestle with those. And if you want to talk about faith and what it means to follow Jesus, find someone whom you know that follows Jesus and say, I've got questions, can we talk? Because that's an incredible way to learn more about God's work in someone else's life and what God can do in yours. Simply this, the gospel is this. Jesus came he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died as the perfect, sacrificial Passover lamb. He was raised, and we're going to celebrate that in all of its fullness next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And because of God's redemptive work, atoning for our sins, making forgiveness possible because his sacrifice was complete and sufficient to satisfy the demands and the requirements of a holy God. Because of that, we place our faith and our trust in him and in him alone, we find life. Not just life in this world. Not life that has an end point, but we find life that is forever. And that's what we invite you to here at first. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this amazing story of Passover, for how you teach us about redemption, how you teach us about your grace, for how, God, you worked in a people whom you covenanted with. And God, we see just your incredible faithfulness to them, even despite all their failings. And God, you've been so faithful to us, despite our failings. God, we thank you that we can say, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things are gone and the new things have come. And God, we want to live in those new things today 
for your honor and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. All right, five principles of Passover. Stand with me, please. As you go forth this week, may you go forth to serve and to worship Yahweh, the only God, the one who is above all things, and yet the one who came, the one who came to make relationship with him possible through his sacrificial death and resurrection. And as we get ready to celebrate Good Friday and we get ready to celebrate resurrection, friends, may you be reminded again and again of how much you are loved by your heavenly Father. Go in God's grace and God's peace today and live for his glory. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.